Hey everybody, welcome to the Permanente Docs chat. Thanks for joining from wherever you may be listening or watching. I'm your host, Alex McDonald. I practice family and sports medicine here in Fontana, California, as part of the Southern California Permanente Medical, Medical Group. As many of you know, May is Mental Health Awareness Month, uh, and I'm very excited to welcome a very special guest, special to me, uh, Dr. Ashley Zucker, who is a child and adolescent psychiatrist uh, here in Southern California Permanente Medical Group. And she also happens to be my wife. So she's got to put up with me at home and at work and on the podcast. So uh, my condolences to Dr. Zucker. But thank you for joining us nonetheless. Um, if you have questions today, if you're listening to this live, please feel free to drop them into the chat. Um, uh, we'll try to get to as many of the questions as possible. Um, and we will hopefully have a high yield and robust discussion regarding uh, physicians and mental health here in May. So Dr. Zucker, Ashley, thank you for joining us. Uh, let's just jump right in. Um, my first question, as you know, is, is tell us who you are and, and what you do. Sure. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, nice to get to chat with you. Uh, <laughs> so I'm, uh, I'm Dr. Zucker. I'm, as you mentioned, uh, first and foremost, a child, adolescent, and adult psychiatrist. Um, I also wear a couple of administrative hats, so I'm our assistant area medical director here in San Bernardino County uh, over mental health and SCPMG wellness, um, and I am also an elected member of our uh, board of directors for our SCPMG medical group. So um, yeah, that's who I am, and that's a little bit of what I do. <laughs> lots of hats, lots yeah. of hats. So. <laughs> All right. Well, again, May being Mental Health Month, um, tell us what you're what you're seeing, what you're hearing from colleagues regarding just the mental health and the wellness of our physicians at this point in 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 the year. Sure. So I don't just hear this in May. I hear it all year round, but it's true, uh, true. obviously a highlight of the month um, to be able to really focus on an increase awareness on mental health, whether it's for physicians or otherwise. But um, I think, you know, some things that we're, we're seeing is as we, again, kind of come out of COVID, so to speak, um, that there's just a, an enormous amount of uh, work landing on our physicians' laps at, at this time. Um, and so just like the rest of the world, we're dealing with all of the stressors that COVID brought on, that um, everything kind of happening out there in the world, whether it's social injustice or otherwise, um, has made this an incredibly difficult time period for um, for everyone, adults and children alike. Um, and as physicians, we've been nonstop um, through the whole thing. Um, and even though some pieces of care actually slowed down during COVID, there were a lot of other things that really grabbed our attention and, and took our time. Um, and so now we're also really seeing a wave of people who may have delayed care over the time um, of COVID. And so the a volume of patients and the demand on our services is incredibly high. Um, another thing that we saw throughout COVID was a lot of uh, physicians and other healthcare workers really leaving the healthcare space. Right. Um, so across the country, I think about 11% of physicians actually left the field of medicine throughout COVID, which is pretty significant. Um, and the number is much, much higher for other healthcare workers. So there's a, a lot of work to be done and not as many of us to do it. Right. Yeah. So much pent up demand. I, I think the other thing too, for, for, I guess for me personally is a lot of patients sort of got used to getting virtual care through email or through, through virtual visits. Um, and now we have all of that plus all of the work of patients in person too. And so it definitely feels like there is uh, we're being pulled in a lot of different directions uh, in this day and age. Uh, there's, there's no question. It, it's interesting how, how COVID literally went on like a switch. It just it, one day was like, 
everything shut down, but it's just been this long, slow, protracted recovery too. And I think um, the ability to care for ourselves and take care, take care of ourselves so that we can best take care of our patients is certainly something that, that we all, we all grapple with in multiple different ways. Absolutely. I mean, it's natural for physicians to want to take care of other people first before themselves. Um, So we're particularly prone to being bad at uh, caring for our own mental health or physical health. Um, And when we've got a lot of work in front of us and a lot of people who need our help, uh, we always take the back seat and that can lead to, you know, other problems as well. Yeah. I'm, I've been told that physicians are really bad patients themselves. I I, I have no evidence to, to, to confirm that, but uh, I'll confirm it for you. Okay. Thank you. All right. <laughs> um, so tell us more about the um, sort of the tools and the systems in place that we we have here in Southern California Permanente Medical Group to support the the mental health and wellness of our physicians. And the, the American Medical Association actually just, uh, we received an award from the American Medical Association because of our wellness and our physician mental health programs. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Sure. So I think the first and probably most important piece is that we are continually increasing just our dialogue around mental health um, and the importance of mental health for physicians. You know, historically, it was not something that was talked about. It was something that physicians were very fearful of or even admitting. Um, You know, something that comes up quite often is that when physicians are being, you know, credentialed, um, there are questions that ask about mental health. And so physicians historically have felt like if they talked about mental health problems or sought mental health care, um, that they would have to disclose that and it would actually hinder their ability to, you know, to get jobs. Um, And so the conversations around mental health are uh, so critical and especially why things like uh, May as Mental Health Awareness Month are are really important. So I'd say that's our number one tool. Um, I think, you know, there's a lot of other things that, of course, we offer to our physicians. So um, while we have our own psychiatrists and therapists internally, sometimes our colleagues are not comfortable seeing people that they work with. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we do have uh, an outside resource for folks who are looking for that care and may feel uncomfortable coming internally. Uh, and then there are other just modalities of, of support uh, that we have to offer as well. So we have things just like our, um, our EAP for, uh, for our physician assistance program, uh, support link, which is a kind of outside resource as well that offers a lot of help for various different things. Um, and also just online tools and apps that are available for our physicians. Um, another thing that we worked on Um, maybe it wasn't last year, I guess it was actually the year before, was also providing some specific education to our physician leaders um, on how to uh, manage the mental health of the people that they that they oversee or their colleagues and how to really start that conversation. Because again, it all starts with with the conversation. And so knowing how to have that and also recognizing maybe some signs in our colleagues is um, is also really, really critical. And so we spent a lot of time around trying to educate one another about how to look out for each other too. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. The sometimes just giving, giving our leaders the tools, cause they're often the first line um, when the first ones to deal with that as well too. So that's so important. Tell us about, um, I'm actually really proud of our, our peer to peer program we have here, uh, particularly in San Bernardino County and also the second victim program, which I think is pretty unique as well too. And a lot of people don't necessarily understand what that is or why that's about. Um, So can you tell us a little bit more about that? 
yeah, that is a great tool um, and a great resource. And um, it's been around for a while, but obviously picked up some steam and now offered in all of our areas across Southern California. Um, but our peer-to-peer programs uh, used to be called Second Victim Program, but we didn't love that terminology, so it became the peer-to-peer program. Um, it's really volunteer physicians across all different departments who want to be there for their peers um, and for their colleagues. Uh, and we do provide training for people that do volunteer to be um, peers because we know not everyone necessarily comes armed with the sort of tools to uh, provide some of that support. Um, but we encourage, again, doctors of all specialties to be involved in that. Uh, and so if anyone is having trouble, whether it's with their mental health or maybe they're going through a different difficult life circumstance, maybe um, it's a medical legal situation or a divorce or taking care of a, you know elderly parent or things like that, um, they can actually reach out and be connected with a peer who can work kind of one-on-one of them as they, as they need that support. Um, and we try to connect people who have been through similar circumstances so that there's something kind of in common when they're connecting um, and really being there to support one another. Um, because we know no one understands things as well as our colleagues do, um, and especially those that have been through similar things. So it is a really incredible program, um, which is actually very heavily utilized, um, which we're definitely very proud of here in Southern California. Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, uh... I lost my train of thought. <laughs> um, uh, what do uh, oftentimes the first people that may notice something are, you know, the other physicians in that in that module in that clinic who work with that person on a daily basis? What what are some signs or some things that that physicians can do if they're worried about their colleague? Um, uh, what what are some resources available, and what do you recommend? Well, I would step back even from that question a little bit and just talk about maybe some of the warning signs you might see in in your colleagues. Um, that we don't always think about, right? So um, changes in behavior, maybe folks are showing up late when they used to always be on time. Um, Maybe they're not finishing their documentation or their charts and they used to be really on top of those things. Um, If they are typically a pretty kind of happy-go-lucky person and they seem a lot more irritable, uh, not nearly as engaged as maybe they used to be, those can be some signs that something else is, is going on for them. Um, And sometimes people sort of interpret that as, oh, they're not doing their job or they're not working as hard um, when really it's a reflection of a a greater problem that maybe, you know, others aren't aware of. So I think those are important things to recognize. Um, If you do recognize those in someone, you know, I think the first step, again, is that conversation. Um, Checking in on one another is incredibly important. And you can do it in a pretty open-ended way. You don't have to be aggressive about it or pushy, but, you know, hey, I've noticed that you seem a little bit off recently, or I've noticed that you've been late more often. Is is there anything going on that, you know, you want to talk about? And sometimes just putting that out there will um, encourage people to open up. Sometimes people don't want to open up and they don't want to talk about it. Uh, And so it can also be helpful to say, Oh, you know, if you don't want to talk about it right now, that's totally fine. But I'm here. If you ever need anything, just let me know. Um, and just leaving that door open can be incredibly powerful, even if that person never comes back to talk to you about it. The mm-hmm. fact that you asked uh, can really mean a lot to them. Um, I think some other things that can be helpful too is that uh, if you're noticing things in a colleague, and maybe it's someone you're not comfortable talking to, or you've tried to talk to them and they didn't seem to really want to engage. You know, reaching out to um, to their 
leadership can be helpful too, um, you know, in a private way, um, or even uh, encouraging your peer to reach out to some other resources that we have, like the peer-to-peer program. And so maybe, again, they're not so open to things and just be like, hey, just wanted to make sure that you had our wellness guide, which has all of our resources in there if you need something. Um, That can also be another helpful strategy to use. Um, And for our folks in um, Southern California, we actually have the wellness guide is uh, automatically installed on your KP iPhone. Uh, And so you can find it right on there, which is a a secret tip that not everybody knows about. I didn't know that. Yeah. (laughs) Learn something new today. Um, About time. So you don't, you don't recommend grabbing your colleague by the scruff of the neck and asking them if they're depressed or yelling at, no, I'm teasing. Um, Generally, that's a bad idea. Yeah. Okay. All right. We'll, we'll do that. <laughs> so um, we have a question in the chat here. So as, as more colleagues leave the healthcare industry, how can we, uh, how can those left behind cope with the challenges and increased volume of work um, uh, and just the, the, the mental health challenges that go along with that? Yeah, I mean, it is a very uh, difficult time. I think there's a couple of things to keep in mind. Uh, One is making sure that you're taking care of yourself. Um, There's a lot of work to do. And while we've got to get through all of that, and we want to make sure that our patients have the care that they need, we also need to set up the right boundaries for ourselves. Um, And so making sure that you're doing things like taking your vacation, um, stopping to eat sometimes during your day, even if it's five minutes, because I know sometimes even five minutes can be hard to find, Mm -hmm. Um, making sure that, you know, you're eating as healthy as possible, that you're getting some movement, um, some exercise in there, getting good sleep, all of those things are exceptionally important. And we tend to kind of forget about them when we're exceptionally stressed out. Um, And so I think also things that are really important to kind of keep in mind is to also look for the positives in your day. Uh, Sometimes that can be hard to do when you're really, really overwhelmed, but just getting back to sort of why you went into medicine, your purpose for being here, the patients that, that you care for and the patients that really appreciate everything you do, kind of stopping and taking a moment to just sort of recognize that throughout your day um, Mm -hmm. can help you kind of push through the slog that unfortunately we're kind of stuck in right now. Yeah. Yeah. Now you're definitely speaking my language as a, as a, as a lifestyle medicine enthusiast. Um, um, but then also, you know, the, the piece of gratitude, there's been more and more studies around gratitude and gratitude journaling and, and things like that. And it's sometimes taking a moment to focus on one small thing can really make a big difference in terms of, of changing, changing our mindset as well, too. So um, uh, we, we have another question in the chat. I'm not sure how it relates to mental health, but uh, it's, it's who, who's more fun at work, uh, you or Dr. Zucker? And is that possible uh, or appropriate for phys- physicians in this day and age? Um, and, and, I, I always tell people that I take the work very seriously, but I don't take myself very seriously. And so I think it's okay to have a little bit of fun at work. In fact, you should have a little bit of fun at work. Um, but that's my, but that's my bias. I don't know. Who's more fun. Are you more fun or am I more fun? <laughs> yeah. Uh, you definitely don't take yourself too seriously. So I'll, I'll agree to that, but okay, um, perfect. I think we both have a, uh, pretty fun time at work. I can't turn around my camera at the moment, but if you ever visit my actual office, it's full of glitter and pink and sparkles. So I think it's pretty fun in here too. <laughs> yeah. There's a little, 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 little color behind you there as I like that too. That's the one thing, nice thing about, uh, you know, being a child psychiatrist is you get to have toys and pretend like it's for the patients, but really it's just for you. And we, we know the answer to that. So. Yep. 
<laughs> All right. Um. Uh. Real quick here. This is this is great. I, I want to ask one kind of big, larger question before we move on here. Um. And you kind of alluded to this a little bit as well regarding kind of how those of us sort of left behind can cope too. But what what type of systemic changes? do you think really needs to happen in healthcare and just the overall healthcare industry in this day and age to help reduce the, the, the mental health burden and impact on physicians? I mean, I always like to tell people you can take a canary and put it in the coal mine, uh, but it's still in a coal mine, even if it's a, a beautiful canary. So I think there's a lot of system issues, which, which weigh very heavily on physicians. Um, do you have any, have any, have any thoughts? If you had a magic wand, you could change one thing about the healthcare industry to, to help support the, the mental health of our physicians. What, what might that be? Yes, this is like the uh, $30 trillion question. (laughs) Um, You know, I think it's about some things can be little changes. There are definitely some, you know, big system changes that I think many of us physicians would love to see in healthcare. Um, How likely those are to happen? Probably not, unfortunately. But, you know, I think, again, it's really getting back to why we're here in the first place. You know, we all became doctors to take care of people um, and to treat patients. Uh, And oftentimes some of the things that uh, drive, I think, the most dissatisfaction is the fact that we're um, stuck feeling like all we do is paperwork. Um, And now it's electronic paperwork and a lot of clicks and typing, um, but it really takes us away from what we truly wanna be able to focus on, which is the patient in front of us. Um, And so I think the more that we can do to build systems that may automate things, or I know there's a lot of talk about AI, kind of mixed feelings about that one, but um, I do think there are definitely, hopefully things on the horizon that can take some of that burden off of of physicians um, that may, again, bring them back to kind of that joy in medicine that recently I feel like is a little bit harder to find with just the administrative burden um, that's placed on, on all of us right now. Yeah, I, I think that is such a, a key piece. And a lot of times when you're doing things, it's like, why am I doing this? Like, I, I should be seeing patients. I shouldn't be clicking these boxes. That's for me personally, what kind of gets me most sort of frustrated. Um, I remember so clearly I was um, um, I was a sports fellow and I was helping just provide a sort of a second opinion at, at for, for a student athlete at the high school where I was working. And as a result, there was no documentation needed. I could just sit there. I saw the patient. I talked to the parents. And I didn't have to worry about typing or clicking anything. And afterwards, I had this feeling of like, oh, that was really enjoyable. I got to connect with the patient, connect with the family without a computer screen between us. And that was a um, that was a moment that I remember very vividly because it was such an odd experience. And I wish we could get more of that in our in our lives and less computer screens in front of us. Although appreciating the irony, we and I are talking through a computer screen right now also. <laughs> right. I'd actually offer the reverse story. I've told this to many people over the years, but um, I was seeing a patient in my office pre-COVID. So they were really in front of me um, and you know doing my notes and clicking my boxes while working with the patient. And they said to me, so do you just type everything into that computer and it tells you what to do? And I was like, yeah, I went to school for nine years to learn how to type. (laughs) Um, And so that was, you know, just sort of a moment where I was like, man, the patients don't even recognize, you know, the work that we're doing for them and what we're actually bringing, um, you know, to that interaction. And we really do need to be able to step away from those computer screens. But unfortunately, the amount, again, of administrative work we have to do, we can't get through the day if we don't just keep, keep at it. Right. Yeah, it's very true. Very true. All right. Last question. And then we'll, then we'll, we'll wrap up here. So um, what makes you most proud to be a permanent day physician? 
Oh man, the list is too long to start, but <laughs> I, I, I want to personally, I want to know the answer to this one is too. <laughs> um, I think, you know, it all goes back to what we've been talking about really is that as a, you know, a permanent day physician, I get to really put the patient first. Um, I get to decide what is most clinically appropriate to do for my patient and with my patient um, without having to, you know, fight for it, honestly. Um, and then I think, you know, the other thing that I'm incredibly proud of is being a physician led and a physician read run medical group um, is just so, so critical. All of the decisions that are, you know, made top to bottom include the perspective of somebody who is also seeing patients as mm -hmm. part of their regular job. Um, and I can't overemphasize the importance of bringing that perspective when we're making decisions about um, clinical care or workflows or operations. Um, and that, you know, nothing can beat that. And I can't see how anyone could replace that, that type of perspective um, and effectively manage the true care that patients need. Yeah, well, well said, well said. Um, well, thank you, Dr. Zucker, for joining us and sharing your expertise. I really appreciate it. And uh, I'll see you at home. All right, maybe. <laughs> <laughs>